You're listening to Politics Within Reason, the official podcast of the Party of Reason and Progress. Show the world you care about progress. Go ahead, give us a like or a share. And if you want to learn more or support your purpose, visit partyofreasonandprogress.org. Welcome to another episode of Politics Within Reason. I'm your host, Michael Hamm, and today I have with me a really interesting guest. His name is Aaron Hamlin, and he's with the Center for Election Science. So thank you for joining us, Aaron. Thank you. Now, Aaron, your group is a 501c3, is that right? It's a nonprofit? That's right, yes. And what I found really interesting, and the reason we contacted you, was because you are pushing a different way to vote. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I guess when we're talking about the way that we're voting, uh, be clear on like what we're talking about here. So normally when you go to vote for, say, something like mayor or governor, uh, you're forced to choose only one candidate. Um, and that has consequences. So normally because we're forced to choose only one candidate uh, as kind of a quick shortcut, we vote for who we like among who we consider to be viable. And viable normally translates to just someone that has money and someone who has name recognition. Unfortunately, money and name recognition don't necessarily translate to doing a good job in office. Uh, so we miss I, out. I can't on... think of any examples where, where that has proven to be true. Oh, wait, no, I can think of a lot. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so it turns out that, yes, there's this famous South Park episode, right, where you know they have the two choices for mascot and uh, they don't like either one. And so it turns out there are a lot of other ways to vote. And... I have some of my personal favorites, but could you go through what you guys have settled on as maybe an alternative to, I, do you call it first past the post where you have one option or the other? You can't really, you can't pick multiple choices. Uh, and unfortunately we have this thing within uh, voting theory and voting methods where things, these voting methods have all kinds of names. So okay. First past the post is one name. Uh, plurality voting is another name. So that's a, unfortunately a common theme. Oh man. Okay. So it's even more complicated than that. That's, a, that's terrible. Okay. But what is it that you think might be a good alternative to uh, just getting one choice at the ballot? Yeah, so here we're talking about single winner elections again, mayor, governor, that kind of thing. Um, so we look at all kinds of different voting methods and there are a number of them for single winner elections. And the one that we push is something called approval voting. Approval voting is a very simple method that has a lot of really nice features to it at the same time. What approval voting is, you just select as many candidates as you want. You're not ranking or anything complicated. You're just picking as many candidates as you want huh. and a candidate with the most votes wins. That's it. Okay. Now, have you tried this in the wild? Because like, I'm just I'm just going to spitball here. Like, I've, I've started to look through your, your stuff, but maybe not as much detail as I should. But what stops people from just voting for everybody? They say, oh, well, I don't really want to choose. I'm just going to vote for all, all of these guys. Well, that, that would be a peculiar vote. Um, so someone could do that under approval voting. Um, right. But because they haven't given preference to any particular candidate, so they haven't distinguished anyone, uh, mathematically it's the same as not voting at all. Yeah. Because you haven't pushed one candidate further than another candidate. Yeah. So it would be a peculiar vote. Okay. But let's say you're on a, on a, a full ballot, right? So for perhaps for one position, like I had this problem when I was voting in the primaries this year in New Mexico, one of the positions, I didn't really actually have a preference for a candidate in those two places. So I could have either left it blank or if we were doing approval voting, I could have just voted for both of them and said, they're both fine. For me, that's good enough. <laughs> It'd be just fine either way. But the rest of the candidates, I do have some strong opinions about. 
Yeah, yeah. So you're uh, so if you're in a case where like there are only maybe two or three people running, and you really don't have a preference for any of them, but you actually like all of them, like yeah. that's you can you can give that expression. So, um, but you can also uh, one of the other features approval voting has is that say like there are two or three people that you like. Um, but you don't want to have your vote split between right. them. So uh, in that case, you could support multiple people who share the same ideology as you. So we had a really interesting thing happen in Ohio last night. So we are we are recording here on uh, August 8th. And so last night was August 7th, where the Ohio 12th had a congressional race. And it looks like the Republican won by, it's going to be about one or 2,000 votes. And then there's a Green Party candidate who got about 1,000 votes. And one of the, you know, kind of acronyms people have for Greens is getting Republicans elected every November. But if you start doing something like approval voting, the people who really do prefer a Green to anybody else could vote for the Green, but they could also vote for, let's say they, they even like the Republican or they like the Democrat or whoever else it is, they could vote for both. And I suspect we'd start seeing third party candidates like the Green candidates get a lot more votes and show how much more popular they are than they look, but without taking away uh, those votes from potentially winning candidates. Undoubtedly the case. I mean, that's something that we see really persistently in research uh, when we look at approval voting. So let's look at where those votes would come from. So one, I mean, you have the Green Party supporters, so people mm -hmm. that like the Green Party and they, they were going to vote for them anyway. Um, and like they're also able, in this case, to vote for the Democrat if they see a, a material difference between the Democrat and the Republican. Right. And they may not, uh, right? They don't, they don't have to. But right, right. They could they could vote for only the green if they really see the uh, Republican and Democrat as indistinguishable. So yeah. totally, that's it's an option they have. But in my preference, I'd probably would vote for green candidates additionally in, in a lot of elections, just because I do think there's an important message there. Even if I don't necessarily believe they'd be perfect at governing, I think it's an important issue to me. And at the moment, you know, when it's just a I can only pick one candidate. Uh, it seems like a wasted vote to me. Totally. And, and so you, uh, there would be a lot of people like that. So th imagine a lot of people in the Democratic Party who maybe they fall a little bit uh, further left and they're thinking, well, like I, I'm already was going to vote for the Democrat. But there are some ideas in the Green Party that I really want to make sure uh, are clearly supported yeah. in, the, uh, in the public light and in the dialogue. And by voting for the Green Party candidate in addition to the Democrat – it accomplishes that goal. And so right now, one of the, the media looks at people who are uh, who are running and they think, well, like you didn't you brought these ideas to the table, but you didn't do very well in the election. Yeah. So your ideas must not have been any good. But uh, if we were able to actually measure that and give it a, a better representation, then you can't marginalize those ideas the same way when they're actually getting traction and they're actually getting successfully measured. Yeah, we had this uh, issue in Michigan. One of the uh, a port member actually ran for the Michigan State Senate, and he ended up getting about you know two and a half percent of the vote. But I think he could have done better. He was pushing a really nice left-leaning campaign. I think he could have gotten a, a better percent of the vote if uh, people had been able to choose multiple candidates. Because I think his message was really resounding. But you know, people were also going with name recognition, as you mentioned before, and the people who have raised the money. Totally. And, and to really kind of harp on this, uh, we had done uh, a research uh, project with uh, GFK, which is an international polling agency, uh, during the 2016 election. And right now we're collaborating with the Paris School of Economics and Political Science looking 
looking at the data and we plan to eventually publish this. Um, but one of the interesting findings that we had, which was consistent with other findings in the literature, was um, so Jill Stein uh, was one of the candidates that we looked at comparing uh, how she did under plurality voting or current choose one method versus approval voting, right? You get to choose as many candidates as we want. And Jill Stein under plurality voting, the choose one method, she got 1%. Um, but under approval voting, she got 9%. That's huh. nine times more support. And what's even crazier than that is that earlier in the year, there's another poll is either uh, it may have been a, a Pew poll or a Gallup poll. I can't recall which. Um, but they were asking about third-party candidates, uh, Joe Stein and Gary Johnson. And they yeah, wanted right. to know. Gary Johnson's who, from New Mexico. Just throwing that out. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. And they wanted to know, like, how many people actually knew who they were. And two-thirds of people didn't even know who they were. And we're still seeing that support. Gary Johnson got 21% under approval voting, by wow. the way, under, under this poll. Oh, that's So we're seeing these huge jumps. And this is when people don't even, uh, when two thirds of people don't mm. know who they are. Imagine if uh, polling was using approval voting uh, in line with approval voting elections. Yeah. We wouldn't have this issue because now people have the incentive to learn about these other candidates because they don't have to worry about throwing their vote away. And isn't it if you get, uh, I, I think nationally, right? I'm probably wrong on this, but it's it's you get above a certain percent. I think it's 5%. If you get above 5%, 5% of the sure. vote, you actually get federal funding, right? Or you're eligible for that. I forget what you're eligible for, but it changes everything. If you get above 5% of the vote, you suddenly have a uh, access to a lot more resources that could help you win. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I know that's one target that Gary Johnson had right. uh, when uh, Ralph Nader was running in 2000. Uh, 5% was what he was shooting for. He got like 27 uh, and Johnson uh, was around uh, 3%, I believe, uh, wow. for this last election. Um, so still falling short, but that tends to be a goal that they have. But if they use the voting method that actually let people vote fearlessly, yeah. then undoubtedly they would be hitting this 5% this five percent marker. I like that. You should really make that your slogan, vote fearlessly, right? Like I think that's a, <laughs> that's a fantastic way to put it. Because it is true. Like I, I am uh, fearful about throwing away my vote. And so... In the primaries, I will vote, you know, kind of with the heart, right? You know, you go for the candidates you really would like to see in the general, but in the general, you kind of fall in line. And uh, I would say the Republican Party has really perfected that one. They've done a really good job with that. But if you could vote for as many candidates as you thought were up for the job, yeah, it would it would definitely change things. Like you say, you, you know for certain that Gary Johnson and Jill Stein would get a lot more votes. And you might have seen this with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, uh, or, or alternatively, uh, you know, Ted Cruz and uh, uh, the Ohio governor Kasich uh, mm -hmm. against Trump. You really might have seen that those folks would have actually come out ahead. Yeah, we, we actually included a long version with the poll that extended uh, to um, Sanders as well as uh, uh, Cruz and other candidates as well. And um, they, uh, when they don't have to worry about the vote splitting issue, they all perform uh, quite well compared to uh, plurality voting. No, that's fascinating. Do you, do you find uh, that the partisan divide remains as large if you have plurality voting? Do you, do you find um, like, like Republicans and Libertarians voting together and Greens and Democrats voting together wouldn't be surprising? But do you find more crossover? Um, I'm like our, the data that we have, we haven't looked at it uh, to be able to answer that particular question. But I would okay. imagine, um, I think a lot of times in the, in the media when we're looking at political ideology and the way that it's portrayed, it seems more like a caricature. 
And like we can look amongst our friends and people that we know in actual life and think how often we really, uh, when, when we're talking with people, um, oftentimes we're individuals and we don't necessarily say like, okay, well, like maybe if someone leans a little bit to the left, a little bit to the to the right or some degree, mm. rarely is it that they are just this uh, uh, clone of what the media depicts someone being conservative to be. Often we have yeah. uh, nuanced views in, in reality. And undoubtedly, uh, when people are able to express themselves uh, more accurately uh, without having to worry about throwing their bird away, that, that undoubtedly is going to be picked up, that type of nuance that people have in their actual political opinions. Yeah. And, and that is something that's missing. You know, you see districts that look really, really blue or really, really red under this paradigm. And there's a reasonable chance that they're not quite that way. I mean, last night, again, we saw in Missouri, one of these union busting bills completely failed. And Missouri's pretty red. And so it was it was an interesting point that policy wise, they're not necessarily as red as they look by the people that they elect. And that might be because not might. It is because of the way we have to vote. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, when we're giving so uh, the way that we vote now, just to, again, to, to harp on how how bad it is. It's right. bad. So so we're using the least expressive voting method there is that you can't offer any less information than yeah. choosing only <laughs> one candidate. Right. An In information theory. Right. This would be a pretty limited space. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And then, but it's worse than that because, on top of giving the least amount of possible information you can give, that very little information that you are giving isn't even necessarily accurate because people are still worrying about throwing their vote away. Right. So you have this voting method that we use now, which is super inexpressive, and then on on top of that, isn't even getting good data to begin with because people are not providing accurate data because they're trying to um, avoid throwing their vote away at the same time. So little data, and it's not very good to begin with. Yeah, and so all day I've been thinking about this, because uh, I liked ranked choice voting. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is very close to me, just implemented that for their mayor's race. And Maine has implemented Maine cho- or ranked choice voting. Maine choice voting would be better, right? But no, ranked choice voting. And I've always liked that idea, but it kind of once again comes down to uh, approval voting is almost the same type of thing, but I think approval is better because you're just not worrying about it. You're not trying to be overly strategic. You're just saying, yeah, these, these are good people I would, I would be happy with. And uh, you're so, not trying to strategize too much. Uh, so, I mean, to be clear, like every voting method has some degree of strategy uh, in, involved. Um, so like wh- whenever we're looking at different voting methods, that there are nuances there in terms of of strengths and weaknesses with within voting methods. All right, well, walk uh, me what, through how we game uh, approval approval voting. Uh, so with approval voting, you you do have to um, think about like where your threshold is. So when you're voting for somebody in approval voting, you can choose as many as you want, um, but uh, you're ultimately making a decision to stop somewhere. So you're having a threshold in terms of saying, okay, well. This is my, below my level of acceptability. And when you're doing that, you may also be thinking about who you're voting for that provides competition to um, other candidates that maybe you like a little bit more. Okay. So that is one, one consideration that people are making uh, when they, when they are, are voting under approval voting. Uh, but clearly, uh, the benefit that it has of always being able to support your honest favorite no matter what right. um, uh, goes, goes beyond that. 
and um, and that that uh, that kind of calculation that people have to have to make, uh, I, I would say is worthwhile, given that it allows them to be able to hedge their bets against someone that they really don't like winning. Right. Yeah. And to me, like you shouldn't vote for somebody you wouldn't be happy with winning. Right. You shouldn't vote for somebody to send a message. <laughs> you should vote for somebody who is sending a message and that you want that message to be part of the government. Right. Like that. That should be the only thing you consider. Now, that's not what's going to happen, but okay. How could this be implemented? I've been doing a lot of research into uh, federal elections. So the easiest thing, I think, and I you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is you could, providing, let's say, uh, Kamala Harris gets elected in 2020 and comes in with a, a full slate of a House and a Senate, you could implement nationwide voting for federal elections in this way. You could do paper ballots, you could... Just say, this is how voting will be done for federal elections. If the states would like to piggyback on top of this, they can, but they don't have to. And I think that that would be the quickest way. It would probably also upset a, a, quite a number of people. Um, historically, the way that these have been done has been at the local level, uh, showing proof of concept thing doing it at the federal level. It's much harder to go the other way around. And then there's this, you have these kind of gatekeepers who have a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have to go through gatekeepers, fortunately. Um, we have these uh, things called ballot initiatives that make it so that uh, people who are already elected uh, don't get a say. Um, and they shouldn't get a say because they have a direct conflict of interest. Um, and so we can run ballot initiatives at the local level, um, get these better voting methods like approval voting enacted, and then repeat that in other cities. Um, and then once you have a, enough saturation, uh, we can target the state level. Um, and then what you're, when you're doing the state level, it's easier to do that after doing the local level because at the state level, you can say, all right, well, we've already shown that this works at the local level. Yeah. Um, and so we can have more confidence that we can go ahead and try this at the state level. And uh, one of the other points on this is that we have to keep in mind who we're com what we're competing with. We're competing with the worst voting method that there is, plurality <laughs> voting. So the, the risk involved here is really minimal. Yeah. Um, but I because, like it this way. It's what I know, right? That's what happens here is uh, uh, change is always uh, greeted with resistance, which I think it should be. But I think your point is right. If you start local, get people familiar with it and publicly talk about this a lot, make it not a scary new thing, that's when you get acceptance. And I, I will be really curious to see how Maine's vote goes in uh, this you know, election with their rank choice, which is pretty similar to approval, except that you're ranking the candidates you like in order. And approval, you're just saying they all are equally acceptable to me that I voted for. Uh, so... In terms of, so we, we have a preference for approval voting uh, compared to instant runoff voting. And it's not to say that instant runoff voting yeah. is a horrible method or anything. It's, it's better, better than, than the worst method, right? <laughs> that's right. It is not the worst voting method. That's right. Uh, and and so with, with instant runoff voting, there, there's some complexity to it. Um, and, and how it works because you're using these rankings to simulate uh, sequential runoffs and the algorithm involved in that is a bit complicated to, yep. to follow and it can even cause delays in getting election outcomes. Um, but um, uh, instant runoff voting does deal with spoiler as well when the spoiler doesn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, votes. Right. Um, but it becomes a bit trickier when you have elections that are close with uh, three or more candidates. In those instances, instant runoff voting can become a bit unpredictable, uh, particularly compared to approval voting. 
Also, it can be difficult to gauge the amount of support that some candidates have right. because of the way the information is is gathered. You don't so within some runoff voting, you have this algorithm that simulates uh, these uh, sequential runoffs. But at any one point, it's only looking at first choice votes, and then yep. it's looking at sub at these lower choice votes, and um, and and. Um, well, uh, and can I say what I what I really like about approval, as I've been thinking about it, is that the problem with instant runoff is you ultimately get an, an answer kind of like you did before, which is okay. Well, likely the Republican comes in second or first, and the Democrat comes in the other way around. So it still looks like those are your two main parties. Whereas with approval voting, you're just going to lay out where everybody got in terms of the percent of the vote. And that number is going to be over 100, which is great. And so you get to see how those third party candidates really do stack up. You might find that they have a huge amount of crossover appeal. Yeah, that, that's right. And one of the reasons, so the reason that's the case is because under approval voting, you're just choosing all you want and most of it's wins. But yep. the, the, the algorithm there is just a simple, <laughs> just yeah. adding. And, yeah. and not, as only, not only is it just adding, it's using all the information immediately at all at once. Yeah. No, so, no, you're right. Like so ranked choice comes why. out. Yeah, ranked choice comes out like one of these complicated card games, right? You're like, well, okay, if you, if you figure out who's in the fifth place and that's hard and then then you kick those people out. Yeah. But approval is just, Hey, these are the numbers and, and yeah, whoever got the most wins or if there's a tie, I guess you have a runoff again. So yeah. And no with problem. one, and to like one of this, uh, distinctions between that and instant runoff voting, it's kind of alluded to before was with instant runoff voting, you're only looking at a portion mm-hmm. of the data at any one time. It doesn't do a good job showing all the data at once, which makes it difficult to, um, better than priority again, mind you, yeah. but it makes it, uh, difficult to get, gauge the support that uh, these other candidates have. And then you, you can also run into extra anomalies that occur when you have three or more people in a close election uh, with instant runoff voting. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's where the, like you say, there's an algorithm involved in the instant runoff and it can, it doesn't always behave the same way, right? You know, you, you can have a good argument for getting different results, even, you know, at least in the lower levels. Anyways, so I like it. I, I hadn't really thought too much about approval versus uh, instant runoff until this interview came up. But I see the advantage, especially for third party candidates. And there's a practical advantage, too, from the election administration side. Uh, So approval voting, it's really easy to audit uh, compared to some of these other uh, methods. Um, And uh, also, it's ready to go. You don't need any special (laughs) software with approval voting. And it's easy to understand, right? Like the best part, I think, is that you're just like, oh, well, that person got the most votes. That's pretty simple, right? You don't have to, you know, go through this weird like elimination round. You just are like, oh, that person clearly won or those people tied. And then we'll, we'll deal with that next. We can do that. We're adults. Totally. Nice. Well, can we talk about how you get funding? So this is a really interesting idea. And you guys are, again, a nonprofit. And so how is it that people come to you and say, hey, we'd like to help you accomplish this goal? Yeah. So a lot of times with uh, nonprofits, you like we're uh, doing our mission and we're doing outreach and uh, uh, other supporters who have the same kind of goals that we have in mind, which are just better elections. Uh, a lot of people come to us and they're like, ah, oh, I'm just really frustrated with my issue never getting heard. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know like when they pull this issue, like it does really well. But when candidates run supporting this issue, they like they, they do terribly. Uh, and so, and that's just because the way that we do elections do not reflect the will of voters at all. Right. And that frustration is 
this palpable with so many people. And so they, uh, that's a big reason why people come to support us because our elections are broken. And this is the only, when we're voting, that's the only time that we can't get ignored. When, when we're going out, we're doing uh, protests. These are all good civic activities, but yeah, they're easily ignored. But when you vote, that's never ignored. And it just so happens that the tool that we have when we vote is not a good one. And yeah. and when people see that and they see that, well, like I can use this better tool and actually be heard, like that's what brings them to us. Uh, and in terms of uh, donating, uh, we ha- we now have uh, funding uh, through uh, an organization called the Open Philanthropy Project, uh, mm-hmm. which is part of the effective altruism uh, movement. So we're very grateful for the funding that uh, that they provided to get us to, to this level. In addition to them, we have a number of individual donors. Um, and a lot of times these individual donors, they come to us with these stories about how frustrated they are. And they look to us to be able to be the tool for the change that they want to see. Excellent. Well, what should people do if they want to uh, learn more about it or get involved? And, you know, are you looking for volunteers? What are you guys looking for? Yeah, so you can go to our website at electionscience.org. We're really excited. We just bought that domain name. It was uh, uh, we we're currently using electology right now, but that can be hard to for people to remember. Yeah. Uh, so you can go to our website at elect, uh, electionscience.org. Okay, and, and we'll link to the show notes. our newsletter. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what you know? What's your like fantasy result here? Like, what would you want to happen in the next three years? You know, what are you really trying to get? Well, we're really, we're really excited right now because we've been collaborating with an organization uh, called Reform Fargo, uh, which is local to Fargo, North Dakota, and they just submitted signatures to get approval voting on the ballot in that mm. city. Okay, and that will be on the ballot this November, and it will be the first city in the U.S. to ever vote on whether oh. to use approval voting. Oh, very cool, and. Uh, I hope that works well. That's amazing. That would be astonishing. And like I said, uh, it's happening around America. Santa Fe, New Mexico, the state of Maine. These these places are experimenting with different ways to vote. And so, yeah, please get involved. And so, Aaron, is there anything else you wanted to cover on the on the pod today? Yeah, if uh, folks are interested uh, locally or know folks locally in Fargo, they can go to reformfargo.org to help out that campaign. Uh, if you're interested in uh, donating, you can go to our site and donate there. Uh, we also have a director of philanthropy. Uh, if you have more particular donating uh, concerns, like um, uh, we can also address your needs there as well. Great. Well, thank you, Aaron, for joining us today. It's a really fascinating topic and one that really has to be solved if third parties are going to become electable in America. So thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. Bye. Show the world you care about progress. Go ahead, give us a like or a share. And if you want to learn more or support your purpose, visit partyofreasonandprogress.org.